Well, thank you for coming. And uh, I entitled this prayer, Igniting and Sustaining Mission. And I think on your notes there, you have just a few little blanks to fill in. And uh, this is just what came to me. It's nobody, nobody's uh, quote. But um, partnering with the one who calls, envisions, and equips us on mission. Calls, envisions, and equips us on mission, accomplishing the... Impossible? Yes. Through the vehicle of... Prayer. Yes. Good. All right, partnering with the one who calls, envisions, and equips us on mission, accomplishing the impossible through the vehicle of prayer. So mission and prayer in the scriptures, we're just going to do uh, not a a full by any means, but a whistle-stop tour of some of the scriptures where you see this definite link between prayer and the people of God crying out to him and God moving in response or something that God specifically wants to do he is able to do as his people are um, getting dependent on him and longing for something more longing to hear Um, and there's this this real link we'll be able to see so Psalm 2 8 Psalm 2 8 ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of all the earth your possession right just ask me God says. He, he didn't say, go to ten conferences and take a string of courses. He just said, ask me, which is what prayer is all about. It's that simple. Ask me and I will give you the nations. Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Right. Here you see very clearly the house of prayer for all nations. Praying for that which is beyond ourselves or beyond my parochial outlook. House of prayer for all nations. Take a, take a sheet. Okay, do take a sheet as you come in. There's a little pile there. Okay, the next one. Um, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Right. Harvest, laborers, beseech the Lord. Talk to him about it. Cry out to him about it. Pray about it. Okay, are we seeing a connection here between mission and prayer? Between getting the burden of the Lord, praying about it, and expecting him to do something? Um, Matthew 6, 9 and 10. 
this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we want God's kingdom as it's done in heaven to come here onto the earth. And what does Jesus say? Well, start praying for it. Start praying for it that the kingdom of God and the will of God is going to be done right here on the earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Colossians 4 3. Tony, have you got a. I do. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Okay. Here is Paul in a mission situation and he's saying we're a bit stuck at the moment but pray that an effective door is open to us for the word. So here again you've got the prayer and the mission, the prayer and the action going hand in hand. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, I ask you to pray for us. Pray first that the Lord's message will spread rapidly. Right. Again, there's the connection uh, between prayer and the strong desire that the word of the Lord spreads rapidly. So we're not sitting back, we're not passively saying amen, but we are praying that this will indeed happen. So as I said, this is not a uh, a complete study by any means, but just a little glance at some of the scriptures whereby there is this tremendous link between mission and prayer in scripture. Um, let's uh, turn over. And uh, I think why I see so clearly this connection between prayer and mission is The more we pray, the more we are going to get a hold of the heart of the Father. We're going to get a hold of God's heart. And he's going to be imparting that into ours, the more we pray. The more we get a hold of the Father's heart, the more we are going to have a heart for mission. We are going to have a heart to see God's kingdom coming the culture changing and lives being transformed and made new through Jesus. And the more we see that, the more we're going to pray. And the more we pray, the more of the Father's heart we're going to have. And so it's a, not a vicious cycle, but a wonderful cycle of, of prayer feeding mission and mission feeding prayer. So I see a real connection here in scripture. Let's just have a little look. And again, it's a cursory look. Mission and prayer in church history. Now I think you have done first the uh, Paisley prayer meeting for the nations. Yes. Uh, This was from 1721 in Glasgow, Scotland. And this burden of prayer... Uh, that somehow the church would reach out into the nations came upon this group of people (coughs) in Glasgow in the early 1700s there. Now, we have to take our 21st century glasses off and realize that the church in the 1700s was completely unmissional. 
was not part of their thinking at all, was not part of their theology at all, was not part of their world view. So if we can try and imagine what it was in the 1700s, just not to have that aspect of understanding concerning who, who we are as God's people. Totally unmissional. And yet, the early 1700s in Paisley, Glasgow, um, you suddenly have the, the burden of the Lord coming upon uh, Christians who met and met and met and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I said to John last night, how many years did that go on for? And he tried to find out, but we couldn't. But it went on for many years, that Paisley prayer meeting, for missions, for the nations. Um, so a very radical change that God brought into the thinking of his people. And 70 years later, after that Paisley prayer meeting began, William Carey left for India, and so began the modern mission movement that we are familiar with. That is now part of our worldview, it's part of our thinking. Whether it's our youth groups going on a long weekend mission somewhere, uh, whether it's a couple going on a short-term mission, whatever it may look like, back then in the 1700s, that Paisley prayer meeting <coughs> is the beginning of that addition into our thinking as the people of God um, to pray for the nations and say, Lord, do you want to send me? So William Carey really was the pioneer of the modern missionary movement. Um, and in the late uh, 1700s, he was actually a shoemaker. He was a cobbler, as, as they were called in those days. And before he ever went, he was praying over the globe that he had cobbled together from little bits of leather from his shoemaking shop. And he had his Sunday school class praying over the globe as well and the nations of the world. And he prayed before he then went in 1793. He prayed for years and years and years. And then he became the answer to his own prayers. It's interesting, isn't it, when that happens. And we're praying earnestly for someone or a geographical region, a people group. And then maybe we will become the answer to our own prayers. Uh, the Haystack Prayer Meeting, 1806, a group of students from Williamstown, Massachusetts, Massachusetts uh, sheltered uh, from a thunderstorm in a haystack. We all know what a haystack is, yes? And um, while they were in there, sheltering from this terrible, terrible storm, they got talking, discovered they were Christians, and they thought, well, we're going to be stuck here for some time. Let's do some praying while we're here. And they started to pray in that haystack for the nations. And that haystack prayer meeting, again, went on for years and years and years. We are talking about 1806, but in 1812, the American Board of Foreign Missions sent out its first candidate. And again, to India, interestingly enough. And that all began in a thunderstorm inside a haystack. D.L. Moody, in the 1800s. 
D.L. Moody in the 1800s. He <coughs> was gifted amazingly as an evangelist. But during his campaigns, he had daily lunchtime meetings of prayer. And I think I'm right in saying that he wasn't interested in any pastors, vicars, clergymen being involved in his campaign unless they were attending the daily lunchtime prayer meetings for it. Don't tell me you're interested in mission, in evangelism, in reaching the lost if you're not here at lunchtime and on your knees. So he obviously saw that, um, uh, that clear correlation. The Welsh Revival, 1904. Evan Roberts, he prayed probably for 10 or 11 years that God would visit the nation of Wales and revive uh, the churches and save people. 10 and 11 years he was praying for that and so a group um, gathered to him and they would cry their way through the night. They would pray without ceasing, God, visit us again, visit us again. And the famous, uh, very short but very, very particular prayer that Evan Roberts prayed was, Lord, bend me. And that became the heart cry um, prior to the Welsh revival in 1904, Lord, Bend me, bend me to your will, bend me to your purposes. Bend me so that I am in that place whereby I am ready for when you pour out your spirit and you visit this land. And then the Hebrides revival, more recent, 1949. That was born out of the prayers of, who can tell me? Anybody know? Two housebound older ladies, older sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. And they started to catch such a burden uh, for the Hebrides Islands, the darkness that was there, the spiritual desert that was there. And they would be up and pray through the night I believe one was blind and one was crippled. Um, but I should have checked on that, I'm sorry. Um, but they would pray by candlelight. and You could see the candles flickering in their little cottage all through the night. And their heart cry was, God, pour water on this thirsty land. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And then the Hebridean revival broke out in 1949. Such a powerful visitation of God that uh, I remember one story of a, a bus driver bringing people to uh, the meeting and he started to come under such conviction. He was hearing groaning and weeping behind him and he just had to pull over and park up his bus. And people would get out of their seats and, and they would be kneeling or prostrate on the floor down the middle of the bus there. And people were crying out to God for mercy. And the bus just was stationary. 
while God visited those on board. And then eventually he was able to drive off and they got to the meeting. You would see people walking from all over the island to get to where the man of God was preaching. This is only 49. I was born in 51. So to me, I think, oh, this, this isn't so long ago um, that there was a, a, such a visitation. But it went hand in hand with prayer. So we have the, praise, uh, the Paisley prayer meeting. Uh, we have William Carey praying over his, his globe that he'd made out of bits of leather as a shoemaker. And then he ended up being the answer to his own prayers. And we had the haystack meeting in the uh, thunderstorm that uh, continued afterwards for a long, long time, praying for the nations. We had uh, D.L. Moody saying, don't say you're interested as clergyman in the uh, evangelistic campaign. Show me and be at prayer every lunchtime. And then we had the Hebrides revival, two housebound sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. God pour water on this thirsty land, and he did. So, mission and prayer in my recent experience. Now, I didn't volunteer for this, uh, to be doing this. Uh, we were driving back from the par on Sunday night, and... Um, uh, with Ron and with Dave Kaler and uh, out of the darkness in the back seat <laughs> I heard Ron say Val would you like to do a seminar <laughs> I, th- I said well what are you thinking and he said well you know about being up in the par and so on so I just want to share some of our recent experiences we've just come back from being up north in the par for two years And why do we see that as mission? Well, we were sent. We were sent, prayed over and sent from this church to go up and live in the par and care for the church there. Uh, We went up there, (coughs) excuse me, to make disciples, to see Christ being formed in the people there. And it was a cross-cultural experience. Um, it was cross-cultural because it was in the north and unknown to me at the time the north is extremely different from how we live our life down here so it's very cross-cultural in that sense and it was also cross-cultural because the Pa little little town comes down to the river right down to sort of to the riverbank And then there's the bridge across, and the reserve comes right down to the riverbank, the other side. So um, living and shopping and walking amongst the Aboriginal people um, was a common day thing for us. And so that was entirely different. So not only was it cross-cultural because we were in the north and the, the, the northern expectations, life, how you do life is totally different down here in the south, but it was also cross-cultural because um, we were very much living amongst the uh, Aboriginal people, uh, very broken people, and we were enriched by um, being with them and, and just getting perspective on who they are and so on. So... Um, 
Uh, we were singing downstairs, um, show me who you are and fill me with your love and lead me in your love to those around me. We were singing that this morning. And um, really, as we went up to care for the church for this time, um, that was our heart cry, Lord, lead us in your love uh, to these people. There was a, a lot of angst there, a lot of um, brokenness, a lot of hopelessness, and um, the church was in a very difficult place when we went. Prior to this, I remember sitting downstairs one Sunday morning saying, Lord, I feel surplus to requirements here. And my prayer had been for about four years, what are you going to put into my hand to do? And I think really prior to that, I'd always felt fairly purposeful in the church. I'd felt fulfilled in the church. I'd been teaching in the school here. I'm a teacher. Um, but all of a sudden, it's like all that fell away. And I was just left saying, well, am I surplus to requirements then, Lord? Have you just put me on the shelf? Uh, is it over as far as you and I are concerned and me being useful? Um, and then suddenly, Ron was asking if John and I would go up to the par, care for the church there. And immediately I thought, yes, of course. Of course we'll go. Yeah, I'll do that. I've been saying, I'm, I'm here. Woohoo. Um, <laughs> you know, Val's the name. <laughs> um, so, well, would you go up? Well, yes, of course. I've been waiting for something. Um, two keys to our time up there. Our church base continually gave thanks with us for what was happening up there and prayed for us and we knew the church prayed on a monthly basis at the prayer summit that we have once a month and we would send monthly updates always giving thanks first this <coughs> has happened we, we were praying for that this has happened and that's happened too and that so we always sent down praise reports and we always sent down prayer requests so we had uh, a good prayer base from our home church which wasn't just wonderful because it was a prayer base but it was wonderful because we knew there was this vital connection of relationship and prayer back home um, and then we chose up there to build an altar of prayer and that was our choice it wasn't what are the strategies going to be what program shall we use um, should we all read this book? Um, no, we said we're going to build an altar of prayer in this church. And we made it user-friendly, 8 o'clock till 9, Tuesday evening in the manse. That's the church house where the, the pastor lives. And the outside wall of our house was here, and the wall of the church building was there. So we were on site all the time. And really, our, our cry was, we do not know what to do, like Jehoshaphat said, but our eyes are on you. And so the best way to keep our eyes on the Lord is to pray, get together and pray. And we, we started that, and we said, it's 8 till 9. And if at 8 o'clock nobody was there, it didn't matter at all, John and I started. And people could come in and join us as and when. 
Um, let me tell you some of the answers to prayer because we just saw amazing answers to prayer over and over and over again. It became a lifestyle and it was just what you expected. If, if you were praying about something, well, it was surely going to happen and happen soon. So we were privileged to sort of live under an open heaven as, as far as that's concerned. So I'll just quickly um, tell you uh, some of the things that, we, that happened. During the first month or six weeks, the entire PA and sound equipment either broke or it was stolen. And so there was a lot of moaning and groaning. Isn't this terrible? Oh, my goodness. And I thought, no, God's allowing this for a reason because it was all old. (laughs) It had all seen better days. (laughs) And suddenly it was all either fried or we were broken into and I think our computer was stolen and I think the projector was stolen and so on. So we ended up with nothing. And so I thought this is really exciting. God is going to replace it and he's going to replace it with the best. So we started praying on a Tuesday evening and saying God's going to replace that. Never mind, let's look online for something that's second hand. God's going to replace it with something really good. And I don't know how he's going to provide, but he is. So let's start thanking him in anticipation for this wonderful new equipment that's coming. So we did on our Tuesday evenings. And by this time, people were getting the idea. Oh, they do actually start at 8. Well, we'll try and get there for 8 then. And so our altar began to be established. And we asked God... For the best, someone said to us one week, do you know, in fact, I think it was the finance guy who sort of looks after the books, he said, there's an account I found. Somebody passed away in the church many years ago and left a large amount of money with the particular stipulation, this is for... A particular church project and it's been completely forgotten about it's never been used would you like me to dig about and find out more so, yes there was a large sum of money there and with that sum of money we were able to buy a brand new soundboard that was suitable for that building and we took we had advice and so on from people down here and Um, So brand new soundboard, multimedia projector, which we were able to put up high. So if anyone came in to steal it, it was safe and out of the way. A new computer, a new soundboard uh, booth was built, uh, new music stands, new microphones and new speakers. And every last penny came out of that gift that had been given so many years ago that it had been forgotten about. So when we were saying, thank you, Lord, you're going to provide, you're sending us new sound equipment, but we had no idea because it was unseen. That's what faith's all about, isn't it? Believing for that which we don't see yet. And God said, yes, have I got a surprise for you? Uh, The mill... The mill is the main employer in the town and employs about 350 people. 
and really due to poor management it had been slowly sliding downhill for a while and uh, that first Christmas we were there the news came out about end of October that uh, at Christmas it was closing and that would have put 350 people out of work just about two weeks before Christmas time and I know Gateway really picked this up and were really praying about that we were praying in our Tuesday nights and we were saying Lord send somebody who um, loves to find a business or project or whatever that's spiraling downwards and they love to get involved with that pick it up, turn it around and turn it into something profitable that's what we prayed for and that's who we got that's exactly who we got a firm who just loved to rescue um, business firms, mills whatever it is who are sliding down and the writing's on the wall and they turned it around and it's now a good employer in the town things are going very very well for the mill and nobody was laid off we started praying for the infrastructure if you think Winnipeg roads are bad come up to the par um, because really the par is potholes with a bit of road around them <laughs> they really are very very bad and we started praying about the infrastructure of the town we prayed about the roads particularly and other things too we went away on vacation uh, around June I think it was when we came back <laughs> the road outside the church and the house it was unrecognisable there were massive holes there were piles of dirt there was equipment that I'd never even seen before uh, going up and down and the council which had done nothing for years, the town council had decided it was time and where did they start? <laughs> on the road where the prayer house was where the church was and where we'd been praying saying Lord would you move this council to start getting a grip and renewing the infrastructure of the town and their intention is to do this in the whole town another answer to prayer Meredith a dear sweet married lady in her mid thirties no children uh, she and her husband's been a great great grief uh, to them she's now five months pregnant as we prayed for her and we believed for her on Sunday mornings and on Tuesday nights as well um, a real miraculous uh, conception and, and she's held on to the baby which is wonderful we were up there last Sunday Linnea came rushing over she said I must tell you you know I had those huge ovarian cysts and I had this big surgery coming up I can't remember if she had an MRI or a CT scan but something like that they've gone she said they've gone they're not there anymore and she said there's not even a scar or a mark they've just disappeared uh, so another beautiful healing for Linnea there was one fairly influential person in the church who was not pleased that we were there 
and made that very clear and very obvious. And so John and I started praying, Lord, would you bring her right in or take this person right out? And he brought this individual right in. And, I mean, Ron... Jason, who's now been set in as the pastor up there, they say it's an absolute miracle. That's no less of a miracle than Linnea getting healed from these huge cysts on her ovaries. That that person has had a fresh encounter with God. Whatever commitment there was to the Lord from years back has got totally renewed. Um, it's it's a miracle. And she's this she's filled with the joy of the Lord she's just filled with the joy of the Lord we all know about the the Hamboldt hockey team crash that horrific crash one of the people in our church through extended family um, there was a member on that hockey team and this individual was the worst injured of those who did survive and so a number of weeks after the crash, this person was putting this together. Well, actually, they're, yeah, they're extended family over there. And so we started praying for Lane, this guy who was horrifically injured in the crash. They had had to split open his skull here to relieve the pressure on his brain. But in many other ways, he was horrifically injured. And so we started praying for Lane. And so the first prayer pointer that came in was, um, <clears throat> he has no speech, he has no communication at all. So we started praying, Lord, bring that back. You can do it, Lord. You are the God of the impossible. Would you open up that area of his brain, damaged as it is, open it up, Lord, for communication. That was the Tuesday night. By the end of the week, this text went whizzing round the, the prayer group. He started to hum. Wow. It was so thrilling. And once he'd started to hum, he started to say a few words. And so then we started to give thanks and we prayed those few words, Lord, more. We want more. And then his vocabulary started to come back. And he started to be able to speak just in short sentences and so on. He couldn't, he had no mobility in his legs. So we started to pray about that on the Tuesday. I think by the end of the week, we heard um, he started with the physio's help, but he started to take a few awkward steps. So we saw, as we prayed specifically, the specific answers came in. It really was very, very encouraging. And you know, Thanksgiving weekend, he was released from hospital. He still has a long way to go, but they said, you can do this from home now. Our finances increased hugely. 33% increase. The congregation increased, multi-generational, multinational, increased by 50%. Family was restored. We prayed that so much at the beginning. Lord, restore hope here. Restore joy. Restore family. The angst went out of the place. Breaking of bread became a beautiful, beautiful time. 
um, I can't, I don't know what the words are, but somehow there was just a beautiful time of worship uh, when we broke bread up there each month. We prayed about, we had a, quite a group of nurses, but they were always working on Sundays. And praise God for nurses, and they do need to be there, uh, uh, that's fine. But I didn't think they needed to be there every Sunday. <laughs> so on Tuesdays we started praying, Father... Would you do something here? Would you, would you somehow fix the schedules so that they have more Sundays with the people of God, with their church family, than they do working? And it started to happen. John went out with a, a young guy who started to attend, and uh, they went out for coffee, and he said, so what do you do? He said, oh, I arranged the schedules for the nurses at the hospital. <laughs> And he said, well, I don't think I can do anything <coughs> for you. But God was already doing it. And our nurses <coughs> are nearly always in church on a Sunday now. It, it's just quite a miraculous turnaround. We were specific in what we asked for. And so the answer was specific too. Um, Miriam worked she was in the a doctor's clinic. She was working every single Sunday. And I said, Miriam, we're going to start praying on a Tuesday evening that this stops. She said, how can it, Sister Val? How can it stop? They are employing no more staff, so there's only me and I have to be there. And I said, no, I don't think so. We're going to ask God to do something. She is now there every Sunday, just about. She might have to work one in six. Um, let me just tell you what's happening now. So we're back off that assignment. And now John and I are, are looking after our Ironwood Interns Program, which is seven months of opportunity to dip into theology, into the scriptures, go on a cross-cultural mission. We're probably taking them to England and India and so on. So it's a wonderful discipleship time for them. And I went into the Ironwood room and saw the whiteboard. And I said to John, we need to pray for a new whiteboard. And it's going to be the best. Let me tell you what God's given us. He has enabled us to purchase the top-of-the-range whiteboard, glass whiteboard, that if you look it up on Staples' website, it's 3300 There's another website that's selling it for 2000 And we got it for 400 <laughs> I thought, oh, God's starting again. <laughs> Here's our next mission opportunity in that it's making disciples... It's bringing more and more of God's kingdom into the lives of these uh, young people, graduated high school, got a gap year. Um, and we're saying, Father, uh, we receive the best from you. We're asking you, would you just bring us an excellent whiteboard? We don't have thousands, but you know, and we're asking you for it. And it was advertised for 500 because it has the tiniest, weeniest little nick at the top. 
and it was advertised for 500 and when John went to get it he said oh have it for 400 and taxes included so there's our whiteboard and that's who our God is we had the most wonderful time up in the car we saw God turn things around we saw family and community and joy as I said come into the place and tremendous undergirding of prayer both from our home church and building that altar in the church itself never mind if there was only three of us and sometimes there were 14 of us it didn't didn't matter but we were going to pray every week specific we always started with thanksgiving and then we started asking God specifically John and I met a lady at a a meat store outside of the city and she got talking so why are you here and uh, she said oh I used to go to that church years ago we just knew her first name that was all so on Tuesday nights we started praying praying for Linda Lord bring her in bring her back and it was only a few weeks later she walked through the doors one Sunday morning and she's been walking through ever since there she was last Sunday hands in the air worshipping the Lord staying on for the lunch afterwards God's brought her back so there's a lot more I could could be saying Um, if time had been kinder uh, we would have got onto this final page but maybe you can just you know spend some time in your own devotions what or who has God given you a burden for is it your workplace is it your family is it in the political arena your neighbours is it a geographical area is it a people group are you feeling stirred or provoked or unsettled keep praying if you are remember me I feel surplus to requirements Lord and suddenly will you go up north yes of course I will this is what I've been waiting for Does God want to put a nation into your heart or the heart of your church or a region or an area and so on? Is there an ongoing vibrant church prayer involvement when people go on mission to those of you who are pastors here? Accomplishing the impossible through the vehicle of prayer. And that scripture is just how God wants to do so much more than we could ever ask or think or imagine for the glory of Jesus in the church forevermore so thank you for listening I hope in some way this has provoked you, stirred you encouraged you and thank you